Welcome to Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. I'm your host, Christy Sang. Today we welcome Stephen Eric as our preacher, who is graduating from YDS this spring with a Master of Arts in Religion. As a student, he has served as an editor for the Yale Journal of International Affairs and as graduate president of the Yale Adventist Campus Fellowship, which hosted an interfaith conference on mass incarceration in February. Stephen plans to serve as a college chaplain in Manhattan upon graduation. Today's text is Psalm 114. So let's take a moment to ground ourselves in scripture before we hear from our preacher. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a barbarous-tongued folk, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea saw and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains danced like rams, hills like lambs of the flock. What is wrong with you, sea, that you flee, Jordan, that you turn back? Mountains that you dance like rams, hills like lambs of the flock. Before the master, whirl, O earth. Before the God of Jacob, who turns the rock to a pond of water, flint to a spring of water. The word of the Lord. Stephen, thank you for your reflections today. Have you ever had trouble understanding something? Maybe it was at school or one of your first days at a new job and you were given a task or an assignment to accomplish and just couldn't figure out how to do it. You tried over and over and you couldn't make progress. Then someone came along to help you and they tried and they tried another way and they tried another way and you still could not get it. You could not grasp the concept or accomplish the task in the amount of time you had. And finally, this person who was trying to help you throws their hands up in the air and just says, what's wrong with you? That's one of the scariest questions to hear, because it means that the person asking it has already identified that there's something wrong with you. And you don't even have the opportunity to say there's nothing wrong. The question, what's wrong with you? assumes something is wrong and tries to get at the root of it. And usually when it's said in this context, with this tone, what's wrong with you? It usually means the person is giving up on trying to help you because they think that you are beyond repair. The reason this question is so painful, though, is because it's painfully true in many cases. So much is wrong in this world and in our lives that to ask someone what's wrong with you, to assume that something is wrong, is generally accurate. So much is wrong. In fact, often it seems like everything is wrong. And so this question doesn't even offer any useful information. Everything is already wrong. And so it's only rubbing it in. What's wrong with you, asked in this way, is essentially mean and useless because everything is wrong and wrong is normal. But I want to ask today, 
if there is a way and a time when this question, these words, what's wrong with you, can be asked in a good way, in a hopeful way, in a life-giving way, in a joyful way. Before we get into it, please pray with me. Lord, as I share this message, I need your words. I need your Holy Spirit to guide everything that I say and to guide the listeners of this message. Please direct our understanding of the scripture that we're about to read and help us know how to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some harmless and even positive ways to ask the question. The first way I think of is uh, has to do with my dog uh, named Bo. Bo is a little Shih Tzu, 14 years old, um, who doesn't get around very quickly anymore and often has a little mopey look on his face. He spends most of the day sleeping on the couch. He doesn't have a hard life. I don't think he has many reasons to be sad, but he often has a somewhat mopey look on his face. And so sometimes I go to him and I'm like, Bo, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And really the only thing I change is my tone, right? I'm still talking to Bo. Um, and it could be seen as condescending, but I know Bo doesn't understand me. And I'm not meaning anything malicious by it. And it's really just a cute way of trying to resonate with Bo's facial expressions. So there may be a way in which tone and intention can make the question, what's wrong with you? A question that is a little more playful and fun and not necessarily harmful. But that's not really the the kind of solution I'm trying to get at today. Um, I think there is another way of asking the question. When we change the subject from a person to the wrongness itself, the violence around us or the uh, terrible events that we see in the news, we can look at those things and say, what's wrong with you? Accusing them just as if uh, someone were accusing a person, but in accusing something that clearly is wrong, not a person, but an event or some kind of evil, it is a way for us to name the evil to express our feelings toward it, and in a way to resist the wrongness really as something that is wrong and should not be there. But even that is not quite what I'm wanting to get at today. There's a third way to change the way that this question is used, and it has to do with the power of the presence of God. To introduce this, Turn with me to Psalm 114. Psalm 114 is part of what is known in the Jewish tradition as the Hallel, or praise. 
It is a series of six hymns, Psalm 113 through 118, that are typically recited or sung during Jewish holidays, and particularly during the Passover meal, when they remember the rescue of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Psalm 113 describes God's glorious character, God's love, and all of the attributes of God that make God so amazing. Psalm 114 goes on to describe the power of God's presence. Psalm 115 proclaims that all of the worship and glory for these powerful acts should go to God alone. Psalm 116 is an expression of love from the psalmist to God in response to these wonderful things. Psalm 117, which is the shortest chapter in the Bible, is an assurance that God is faithful and that God offers his faithfulness to all people. The last, Psalm 118, recaps all of these things and reiterates God's faithfulness. The psalm we're focusing on today is the second in the Hallel series, Psalm 114. It is the psalm about the power of the presence of God. It begins, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language. So here we're remembering the Exodus, when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 2, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion, the presence of God. These allusions to the sanctuary reminds us of the tabernacle that was in the camp of the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. Tabernacle meaning God's dwelling place. Then we have the descriptions of some of the events that happened as part of the Exodus. In verse 3, we see that the sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. These are the events that we see when the Israelites were trying to leave Egypt and the Egyptians were pursuing them from behind and they were stuck in front of the sea and they could not move until God parted the waters and brought them through. And then again, when they arrived at the promised land, God parted the Jordan so that they could cross the river into the promised land. Going on, we see language similar to that of the way Jesus described what impact a person's faith can have to move mountains. In verse 4, we see the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Then we get to the crux of the chapter in verse 5. It says, what ails you? O sea, that you flee. O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. What ails you? Another translation by the scholar Robert Alter goes like this. What is wrong with you, sea, that you flee? Jordan, that you turn back. Mountains, that you dance like rams. Hills like lambs of the flock. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Then wrapping up the psalm in verses 7 and 8, we return to themes of God's presence and power. Reading 
Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and flint into a spring of water. The structure of Psalm 114 begins and ends with the presence of God, the tabernacle of God with the Israelites in the wilderness, and then the presence of the Lord, the presence of the God of Jacob at the end. And in between these presences of God, we see what God's presence has the power to do. Parting the sea, parting the Jordan, making mountains and hills dance like rams. This is what God's power can do when God's presence is with us and is in a situation. And when we see God's presence working in a situation, we can ask this question of the wickedness, of the barriers in front of us, the seas, the mountains, the immovable things that are in our way. We can ask, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? The accusation is no longer harmful, but it has changed into a declaration, a declaration that wrongness, that the wrongness that you typically see in front of you in this sea, in this mountain is failing, that goodness is growing. It is a recognition that things that are normally wrong are getting better, that wrongness is fading away, that something is wrong with the wrong. What's wrong with you? When used with this right tone toward the right subject and with the power of the presence of God can be for us a window into the power of the presence of God. Asked rightly, this question changes our experience of wrongness and strips it of its power. But how can we apply this to our lives today? There are so many parts of our lives, so many different aspects, internal, external, our behavior, the things that are beyond our control, and even the future. How does this question, what's wrong with you, apply to each of these domains of our existence? To start, internally, the selfish part of me that gets envious when I see my enemies succeed. Even this I can see lose its power when I allow it to be in the presence of God. I can submit myself and this selfish part of me to the presence of God through prayer. When I see my enemies succeed, and even before they succeed, I do this by praying for their success. And when I pray for their success, I cannot pray for my definition of success for them. And I also cannot pray for their definition of success with them, for them, because if they are my enemy, I probably do not agree with their definition of success. But something I can do is pray for God's definition of success for their lives, for true success. And this goes beyond my own desires, goes beyond their desires. And this is something I can trust God to do. And when I do this, when I pray 
genuinely for my enemy's success, something changes. When they succeed, I succeed. When they succeed, I am seeing an answer to my prayer. And so this part of me that was envious, that was selfish, that would get upset when I would see my enemy succeed is now rejoicing at their success and is relieved and is happy and is praising God when I see them succeed. And when that happens, I can look at this selfish part of me and I can ask it, what's wrong with you? You who used to be selfish, who used to be upset at this person's other person's success. What's wrong with you? You're acting differently. You're not being upset. You're rejoicing at their success. What's wrong with you? I see you changing. I see you growing and healing. And I see the wrongness fading and the goodness growing. And it is beautiful. To ask the question, what is wrong with you in this situation? Because it is a recognition that God's kingdom is coming into my life. When it comes to my behavior, I think of the Ten Commandments. And there are two ways of reading the Ten Commandments. As commands, as they are often considered, where they, I think the best translation for this is to translate it as do, right? Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And when we read it like this, we see them as commands, as directions from God for what we should and should not do. But there is also another valid way of reading these commandments, and that is as promises. So instead of as do not, do these things, the language becomes, you will not do these things. And it all begins to hinge on what is stated at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And based on this condition, on what God has done for you, having already rescued you from the house of slavery, God promises that you will not do these things. You will not be subject to these evils. You will have the freedom to rest on the Sabbath after years and generations of slavery when you had no control. And when this happens, when God's promises begin to be worked out in your lives, you can look at these things that used to have control over you, these temptations that used to have power and that are no longer making you feel the way that they used to. And you can say, what is wrong with you? Oh, temptation, what is wrong with you? You are not as powerful as you used to be. You are not making me feel the way you used to be. And I am seeing goodness growing in this area of my life. And I am seeing wrongness fading. What is wrong with you? Wrong. God's presence has power to change me in that way. Then there are the things that are outside of us and beyond our control. And still we see the power of the presence of God. Sometimes someone gets COVID-19 and recovers. Sometimes a friend with cancer is healed beyond all 
odds. Sometimes we see these diseases fail and we can look at them and say, what is wrong with you? You are not doing what you are supposed to do. The power of the presence of God is making you weaker and is making good grow. Sometimes the Israelites do get out of Egypt and Christ does rise from the grave. And we can ask these things. What is wrong with you? In fact, the Hallel, Psalm 113 through 118, were likely the Psalms that Christ sung during his last supper. In Mark 14, 26, we see the verse, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is after the last supper. One of the last things that Christ did before facing the cross was to remember this. Even before it happened, he could ask, what's wrong with you? Because he knew what the power of the presence of God could do. But this is also not always the case. Most of us, maybe all of us, know someone who has died from COVID or from cancer or from an accident or by suicide. There are things in our lives right now that seem incredibly bleak, that are incredibly bleak. In this world, you will have sorrow. And there are things that we will not be able to ask this question to in a victorious way until Christ returns. And then on that day, and not before, we can ask, what's wrong with you? When we are resurrected together and reunited with the loved ones that we've lost, we will be able to look back on what has happened and say to the death, what is wrong with you? You did not achieve what you were supposed to do. You grew weak and Christ grew strong. The right, the good grew strong. Wrong, what is wrong with you? And so, whether it is our own internal selfishness, when exposed to the presence of God, we can see things change and we can ask it, what is wrong with you? Selfishness, you are not as strong as you used to be. Or when it comes to thanksgiving for the bad things around us and the power that they have over us, we can look at them and say, what is wrong with you? You are not as powerful over me in making me sad as you used to be. When it comes to our behavior and the temptations that face us, when we trust in God's promises that we will be free of these things, we can look at them and say, what is wrong with you? You 
temptation are not as powerful as you used to be. When we look at the events around us, the tragedies around us, and we see in some cases God creating miracles and saving lives, we can look at those evils that cause the suffering and say, what is wrong with you? You are not as powerful as you are supposed to be. And then, Someday, when Christ returns, when we are resurrected and all is made new, in those cases when we were not yet able to ask this question, we will then, in that future time, ask, what is wrong with you? Death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting. The sting of death is sin. And where God is, sin cannot be. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This has been Word at Nine a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. Thank you for listening.